the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Was there anything that happened at the venues that kind of like became red flags for you as you're learning the process of playing out that you go, okay, next time I'm going to make sure that if a sense that that might be happening, that we're going to make sure that doesn't happen. We, we definitely learned to stagger sets a lot, I think, more intelligently throughout the process. I think we would we would start out with too many songs that would maybe just strain your voice or be too intense right away. Um, and it's almost like you're kind of revealing the trick too early. Uh, you don't give the audience a chance to build up um, throughout the set. So, so that was something that was kind of a, a big mistake when we started out. I don't know, what, what else would you say? The biggest mistake we had was when um, we locked our keys in the truck. <laughs> we were in, just north of Eau Claire, kind of in the middle of nowhere. So we were able to – well, first we left the battery on so the truck was dead. Then we got it jumped, and then we locked the key in. Then we got the key unlocked. We show up kind of running pretty late and we're like oh there's like this campground next to the bar that we're playing at so we roll in and uh this lady with no teeth shows up she's like what are you doing here you know she's yelling at us and all this stuff and uh so we get to the, the show and i think pretty much everybody in the bar hated us the whole time because we were not oh, country no. <laughs> So that was a good learning experience. So sometimes you're just not gonna. Here to introduce you to the great musicians and music businesses and organizations of Wisconsin. Every week, Wisconsin Music Podcast will be bringing you great information on what's happening in the Wisconsin music world. For our music-loving listeners, we'll bring you music that you haven't even heard of yet from unique and talented artists and hear about their journey so far. You'll either hear live performances of their songs or songs from their selected discography. For our musicians out there wondering what they can do to further their recognition, we'll be calling upon Wisconsin music businesses and organizations to enlighten you on what they're doing to help further your music journey. And now, here's your host, Zach. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Today we have Ryan and Isaiah from Salmon Run. Guys, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us on. Why don't we start with your music origin story? Why don't we start with Isaiah first, and then Ryan, why don't you continue on after him? Yeah, so I I didn't really do much music or really anything um, at all growing up until, you know, and Ryan and I would just kind of jam, you know, it was like a couple of friends, like if you know, after I had a few drinks, we would jam when we were roommates in college. But then when I moved to Portland, I ended up taking some vocal lessons because I just had some time and bored and lonely. So I started doing that. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, I actually really enjoy this. I like it. I'm, I'm getting better. I got, you know, and, and so I just kept doing that for about four years and ended up moving back to the Fox Valley where we both grew up and we just started playing again. And it's all of a sudden we went from kind of doing some covers and now we're writing and it just kind of just keeps snowballing doesn't really seem like we have a plan but it's all of a sudden we're, we're kind of doing this thing Ryan, what about you i've been playing guitar since i was about 12 and i think over the years kind of like isaiah just isolated uh you know in my own house experimenting with things never thought it would potentially be a serious road to go down maybe until later in college when we all started playing together and, and realizing that we had i think some synergies uh, that we had you know good musical chemistry and and didn't realize 
I guess the thrill of, of writing songs uh, until we really started getting into it and just experimenting. So that's when it really started to catch fire and we thought you know, we could we could actually make a living out of this thing. So where did the name Salmon Run come from? It's just a kind of got to the point where we needed to just come up with a name. So I just did like a stream of consciousness and I wrote down a hundred names, you know, just as fast as I could. And then we just went through it. And then Ryan's like, I like this one. I don't know. I don't like it. He's like, I like it. And then that was it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think it was the tricky part was trying to find a name that fit the genre or the, the, the kind of music that we were trying to, to make, which was a struggle because we didn't necessarily have a genre established yet. We've thrown a lot at the board and then seen what people that chose tend to agree with or what their opinion is. I feel like right now it's kind of between, I guess, alt country, folk and indie. So somewhere in that Bermuda Triangle of genres is is maybe where our music lies, but the, the name Salmon Run seemed to resonate. Who are the other members of Salmon Run? Uh, right now, it's just us. One was an acoustic duo. The record that we just put out, we just both did the, the multiple instrumental layers over the top. So Isaiah sings, and then I did acoustic guitar, uh, vocals, electric guitar, and bass. Or Sorry, not vocals. Acoustic guitar, electric guitar, and bass. Okay. I think that's the only parts we had outside of a a door slamming at the end of one song. Yeah. Right. Is this your first musical group or did you guys do other things before Sam and Run? I don't think anything that counts. I yeah. mean, I was in a rock band in seventh grade playing Creed covers. I'm not sure outside of playing birthday parties for our parents that we were ever legitimate or anything. Okay. <laughs> I, I had a buddy in college that we, we did some open mics around the Madison area together. But again, nothing cohesive or consistent. We had one band before Salmon Run, but that only lasted uh, about a month. It was interesting because we were trying to, we, we wanted to see if maybe the rock man feel was better. So we had an incredible electric guitar player with us and a drummer, and we tried to adapt our songs to that style. Um, so I would step back on bass quite a bit, uh, a little bit less of the acoustic guitar, but in the end, it just didn't seem to mesh. It was kind of a square peg, round hole. Before COVID hit, did you guys do any gigs before then? Like three or four, maybe. Is there any stories from those gigs? You know, horror stories, like eye-opening for you guys? I think gigging in general was eye-opening because we kind of assumed we could just bring our guitars in a PA system, throw it up somewhere, and everything would be fine. We had no idea. You know, we were completely rookies when it came to managing feedback, understanding how your sound is going to bounce around a room. So, you know, we played a gig at a brewery where we were right next to all the tanks. And I mean, even with the feedback monitor and everything, it was the sound was just bouncing everywhere. It was really hard to hear ourselves. So there was a lot of trials and tribulations making or I guess being able to overcome that and figure out what we needed to get the right sound. And also, I'm, I mean, none of us knows much audio wise what gear we're supposed to use so you know we just i bought an old pa system off of craigslist and we plugged in and crossed our fingers <laughs> trial by fire basically yeah did you do any kind of promotion for those few gigs before COVID hit and if so what kind of promotions were you doing like was it social media or was there other things that you did yeah we've i mean we've tried to experiment a little bit uh but we're on social media so uh, mostly our facebook page uh, a little bit through Instagram, and we tried making some individual flyers, too, that we'd send out some of the venues ahead of time that they could post around town. Okay. I think that's about the extent of it. What was your practice schedule before COVID hit? I mean, were you guys getting together once, twice a week? How, how were you guys doing that? Yeah, I think it was maybe two or three times a week. 
I think because we had a lot of ideas on paper for songs, but we really needed to hash through those and, and understand what worked well as an arrangement. So it's it, it hasn't been until recently that we've started performing more as a true acoustic duo with okay. both guitars in the mix. So it used to be I would I would play guitar, Isaiah would do vocals. But yeah, it was a, it was a couple of times a week. And, and just understanding what worked, what didn't, you know, obviously trying to find the right balance of which covers to throw into a set to keep people engaged and interested while you're playing. Right. Who did you study live gigs? Who did you go and see as kind of seeing what they were doing, going, oh, I like that idea. I don't like that. And kind of, you know, trying to put your th- whole stage presence together. Celine Dion, the Canadian singer. Okay. Yeah, Celine Dion. Yeah. Um, I think, well, part of, part of it that was a struggle was we would just play a song and then be completely quiet. Realize how much there's, uh, how much banter there is between songs and how important that is to connecting with your audience. So I guess me personally, so there's, there's certainly some local musicians. You know, I, w- I would go out and watch Christopher Gold, Kurt Gunn, and, you know, those kinds of guys and see how they would interact with their audience. But uh, on a more national level, you know, watching Wilco, guys like Jeff Tweedy, how they talk between songs, how they kept people engaged. I think a lot of people that start out, they forget about that. You're not a playlist. You're not going to go one song to the next. You want to interact with your audience. Your audience wants you to interact with them. They want to get to know you. They want to build a positive relationship with the musicians that they go and see. Because if you're not going to build a positive relationship with your audience, they're not going to come and see you again. Because they can go and play a CD of yours or a playlist or you know go online and listen to it. They don't have to go and see you guys live. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Well, and I think also, I guess, how are you supposed to expect someone to vibe with the song without giving them some context? or a proper introduction to what it's about. Right. So exactly. that definitely became important, the, the storytelling aspect of it, which I think you've taken over quite a bit. We like to joke around, too. And we don't, like, like when we had the, the rock man, it wasn't like he could really joke, because that's kind of half the show. Like, you'll come hear us sing, but we also like to joke in between. It's just kind of a natural thing for us. Well, that's good. I think a lot of audiences want to be able to have a positive relationship. Like I said, I have a positive relationship with the people up on stage. And if they know they can joke around with you, that helps build that relationship. What venues did you guys perform at before COVID hit? So when we just started out before COVID, uh, it was some small town bars. Uh, We would kind of send flyers out to breweries, wineries. And actually, I mean, once COVID hit, especially when it got towards the spring and the summer, you know, there was there was plenty of opportunity for outdoor gigs where people could physically distance and, and wear masks and feel comfortable. So it, the wineries tended to play really well, uh, you know, breweries where we could be on a back patio somewhere. And those honestly, I think those tend to be our spots or, or maybe where our audience would attend more frequently people that are a little bit into or a little bit more into original music indie alternative we're a little bit more mellow we're not uh, we're not a bluegrass band up there shaking the room so it's it's about atmosphere and right. it's to create the best atmosphere speaking of playing you guys just said you put together an album kind of tell us run us from beginning to end of that recording experience how it started out what happened in between where it started and where it ended things that you learned and you were surprised by so i feel like i mean a lot of the emotional content and feel of the album kind of stems from your experiences so I guess maybe starting with where you were at when you were writing the songs. and Yeah, Isaiah, why don't you kind of give us the story behind it? Well, Maze Avenue, that's the name of uh, this house that uh, I remodeled with my family. And it was like a pretty big project to take on for like some you know, side job. So it's like this old nunnery 
it's like 3,500 square feet. And we had to gut it all the way down to the bones. It had like seven 21 yard dumpsters just of people's personal items before we even started ripping out the drywall. So it was a real weird place. And there were, you know, there was no electricity there for like three years. There's food in the refrigerator. So like squatters living there, there's cat poop all over the place. Knives in like the in the kids' room. There's like chains hooked up to a wall where like dogs were tied up and in the space. It was, yeah. Wow. So it was really, it had like all these real kind of just this weird energy. And I think during that time, I also had like a, a mad, a, you know, just so mad and angry. I think a lot of that kind of came through in some of it. And, you know, so I'd kind of feel something and then send it over to Ryan and he'd kind of take it from there because he could do all the instruments and I was just singing. So that's kind of the gist of it. From what I'm understanding here is that you guys didn't go to a recording studio to do this. You guys did this in-house. I think the, the songwriting process was all right. A lot of it was in this old house. It was kind of trying to find the inspiration. When we started recording, though, uh, we went to Rock Garden Studio in Appleton, Mark Goldie, which was really critical for us because, I mean, for one, I can't even imagine the recording we would have put together by ourselves, uh, having no audio engineering comprehension. But I think not only that, but just the space he creates in that studio, it's it's really unique and it, it makes it kind of brings out the best in you I, I guess working with him and he pushes you so it's it, it helped us a lot in, in being able to put together some some concrete songs how many songs did you guys finish with on this album six yep i think yep okay. yeah we were trying to friend we, we we couldn't figure out the right blend if we should do an album or an ep to start because obviously this was more about just an introduction and and having some content out there people could stream easily to find us but we we kind of landed on just over a half hour i think of song songs that we felt pretty confident in what would be the first song you guys would like to put on the podcast so the first one's called the girl downstairs and so isaiah wrote that song he'd have to help uh, tell the story about it kind of a it's kind of a parody for rock and roll pop songs because it's kind of like you know i'm living this rock star life kind of but it's like, well, you can kind of twist anything to make it seem like you're cooler than what you are. But really, it's just about still sleeping with my girlfriend that's sleeping downstairs because I snore and she has to sleep in the room. <laughs> so then it was kind of, I don't know, it's kind of celebrating the fun I had with you know friends and stuff in the years. So. Board wall 
Jonathan always loved to say second song you guys would like on the podcast uh, the second one is called crazy so that was one of the last ones we put together uh so isaiah wrote this one again i think you were in a, maybe a deeper emotional state when you were coming up with the lyrics for it right yeah it's like frustration too you know, years. being kind of a uh, weird guy most of my life you know it's like it's uh it's hard to be taken seriously 
but like sometimes you really need to be taken seriously, but you kind of can't take anything seriously. And then you kind of get, I don't know, I kind of got to a point where it's like, I just couldn't get through, you know, couldn't on the same wavelength with people for a really long time. And then like all that frustration. And then it was like a lot of misunderstandings and it just kind of piled up into that.
Was there anything that happened at the venues that kind of like became red flags for you as you're learning the process of playing out that you go, okay, next time I'm going to make sure that if a sense that that might be happening, that we're going to make sure that doesn't happen? Well, part of it was we would get there early enough at some of these places to feel out the crowd a little bit and see what they were into. So we would see what they were listening to on the jukebox. We would have some conversations. We don't have, I think, a big enough arsenal yet that we could completely tailor the set towards it. But we have a good enough sense of maybe if the crowd is somewhat rowdy, they're looking for something a little bit more upbeat, how we should start a set uh, to kind of hook people in. Versus if we were at a place where people were just real mellow, hanging out, that we could start softer and we could build up and we would still have some interest. Red flags, though, I mean, we we definitely learned to stagger sets a lot, I think, more intelligently throughout the process. I think we we would start out with too many songs that would maybe just strain your voice or be too intense right away. And it's almost like you're kind of revealing the trick too early uh you don't give the audience a chance to build up throughout the set so so that was something that was kind of a, a big mistake when we started out biggest mistake we had was when um we locked our keys in the truck <laughs> we were in just north of eau claire kind of in the middle of nowhere so we were able to well first we left the battery on so the truck was dead then we got it jumped and then we locked the key in then we got the key unlocked we show up kind of running pretty late and we're like oh there's like this campground next to the bar that we're playing at so we roll in and uh this lady with no teeth shows up she's like what are you doing here you know she's yelling at us and all that stuff and uh so we get to the, the show and i think pretty much everybody in the bar hated us the whole time because we were not oh, country no. <laughs> so it was a good learning experience so sometimes you're just not gonna Hit the home run. <laughs> As you're alluding to a little bit earlier in this part of the conversation, read the room. Let's kind of talk about the local scene attitude. What great things for musicians have you seen happening in your town for musicians? I think we we came on to it at a good time. Well, obviously not with COVID, but uh, a good general time because Mile of Music up in the Appleton area has been tremendous for local musicians. I think before Mile of Music, the concept of, uh, I guess rock and country cover bands just kind of dominated the scene most places you would go there wasn't a huge demand well i shouldn't say there wasn't a huge demand for original music but it wasn't as well known or i I guess the network wasn't as strong to to help people find it but once mile music came around a lot of the venues i think started to see how many people kind of would would trickle down from different parts of the state uh that really were craving uh original music and uh they they were able to see it as a, a much more marketable opportunity for themselves as well well so now i think from the onset of that it's been what eight years since it started that you you see tons of venues having local musicians all the time and it's you know it's it's great to go out and see somebody who you know these these are songs that are very personal and meaningful to their life uh, i guess so that's that's been a huge positive is uh we, we've just been able to to push our original music uh at local venues much easier than i think we would have been able to in a different climate with playing original music that you guys are doing are you also implementing covers or do you have like three hours worth of original music? Yeah, we have some covers. Uh, we, we probably, we try to keep it to maybe four originals to every one cover. You know, some people, if they're not going to dig your original songs, you got to throw them a bone here and there um, and, and keep them interested. So we try to keep it in line with the style of music we're playing. So I think, you know, some of the examples of the covers we play, uh, Ray LaMontagne, we do a little bit, we try to arrange it a little bit differently than the original, but Fire and Rain, uh, we have a, we do a Bill Withers one. What was the one we were, Bobby McGee. 
we were working on a Joni Mitchell one, I think The River. Excellent choices. I know you guys kind of talked about certain music genres dominating your area, but what else do you feel is suffocating your local music scene? Polka. Polka. The state music. <laughs> at, the, at the elementary school over by where I live, they have huge polka scene. That's where all the people are going. Okay, so it's so basically what's what's suffocating the local music scene for you guys is polka and non-original music. We live well. We live kind of in a, uh, a interesting area because it's it's growing, but it's kind of an older demographic compared to like Madison. And so there's like a group of boomers that have been here that are really digging this original music thing. There's not like this younger scene like you would see in Madison or Milwaukee or some places with like bigger campuses. So there's not that younger scene really pushing it. It's starting to turn, but I think just the you know the age. Yeah. So probably within the next five to ten years, you're gonna see probably a big difference in in the audience because the boomers are getting up there in age now, and they're not gonna be going out and seeing live music as much. And it's gonna be the younger crowd that wants, especially with COVID happening. Who knows how long before live music starts getting back to where it was, and hopefully even better than it was before COVID. But I think a lot of them are gonna be going. I'm so sick of being at home. I want to go out have a good time with my friends, go hear some live music. But original is probably better because a lot of, I think, the cover songs done are still back from 70 years ago. You know, the 80s, the 70s, and the 60s, a lot of that was is still big in the bar scene. And I think your generation is probably going to turn the tide on that. Because you guys probably grew up listening to music from the late 90s and early 2000s, right? Yeah. Right. Well, and that's, so. I mean, last time I was in Nashville, you go down, was it Broadway? Uh, all those bars, I, I expected it to be uh, all country, but it, it most of the music we were hearing was a lot of 90s covers, 90s pop, rock. So I I think it's exactly what you're saying because that was a younger demographic listening to a lot of the music. Right. It, it does seem to be the tide is turning a little bit on it, or the, I, sh- I should say the page is turning. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with the music from the 60s and 70s and 80s and stuff like that. But I think your generation and the generations coming up, they're going to want to hear more original stuff and more of the stuff that they kind of listened to as they were growing up from preteen through their teenage years. Let's talk about the future with the group. Where do you guys see yourselves in the next three to five years with this? Or where do you want to be in the next three to five years? Yeah, I think we've really struggled to answer that question ourselves. You know, obviously we we learned a a ton with the making of this first album and spending, you know, the last year, I, I guess, playing gigs around the area, I guess, trickling to some of the venues around the state. But we, we know we want to do this long term, uh, especially just kind of the thrill that you get from from putting content together and from playing in front of people and, and hearing their feedback. But how we're going to do that is something that we're still trying to lay the roadmap out for. Uh, we know, I think the next step with our second album is to, to, to really drive, or I, I guess to, to really allow more production emphasis. Uh, I think the the problem with the first album, and we really like, we're really happy with the songs on it. We, we tended to just put together a bunch of layers and then try to bring them together, stitch them together and see how it sounded. Mm-hmm. But now we really want to understand composition and arrangement a, a lot more finely. So we're hoping to uh, to demonstrate that growth in the construction of our second album and, and really start fine tuning our live performance, uh, not only the gear and the setup, but like we talked about earlier, the banter, how we carry on the set how we engage with fans so that we're able to go on the road um, and stitch together small tours that are uh, profitable, frankly. 
what's the path you think you're going to take to find venues that are going to be receptive to your music? Yeah, I think the process so far has been to look at comparable artists in the local scene and see where they're playing. And that's been fairly reliable. But especially once we get out of the area and we don't know as much, it's it's been trying to understand the demographics a little bit better of who listens to us. So we know if we know certain types of people go to, to breweries and wineries, you know, we, we tend to not be a sports bar type of band. I, I think it just doesn't fit the scene well at all. So really understanding our demographics and then applying that or, or using that um, to, to look for places in different cities, I think will be helpful. But we're certainly still very new in that area. Yeah, you definitely have to kind of figure out other artists that are, like you said, in your genre and kind of follow them a little bit, but also create your own path, too. Because you don't know who's actually out there trying to find what you're doing. As we're getting close to the end of my questions here, one of the questions I ask is about the balance between your work life and your personal life. How do you find the balance between those two for you? Yeah, I, I've uh, been taking kind of a, a little bit different approach because um, I want to do this. I want to be able to do this full time, and I want to be able to travel and and not have to have another job. So I, I. Um, end up moving into this home and it was like pretty much condemned another another one and uh so i've been working on that and i'm just about done with that and i'm hoping to use some of that to give me some time where i'm just focusing on music because i'll have enough saved up with the house being finished okay but that's kind of my approach where i don't have to worry about this balance i just doing it you spoke of your girlfriend earlier so she's highly supportive of your quest to become a professional musician oh yeah yeah, for sure. And Ryan, what about you? So I think for me, because so I have a full-time job in a corporate environment and, you know, separating work and personal life. I think to me, the music kind of is, it is my personal life. I think we both pour our heart and soul into a lot of the songs that we write. And, you know, it's honestly playing a lot of these gigs is, is so much more fun than anything else I would have been doing on a Friday, Saturday night, regardless. So it, it kind of works out the best in that way. But, it, you know, we're trying to do this in a more focused approach moving forward while also having a, a corporate job, it's it's definitely been difficult to reconcile because it's not just a standard 40 hour a week job. So I, I don't have any good answers about how I've, I, I guess, blended the two to this point, but I think going forward, just making our approach a lot more efficient and robust. So we, we know when we're practicing our, we have a reliable schedule. We know when we have to hit certain deadlines and I guess when we have to make certain certain things happen, uh, having more structure built around it, I think will help us so that we can we can do both things at once. What local artists are you listening to? I know you guys mentioned a few, but why don't we go back to this and so we can get a good list. What's on your local playlist right now? So uh, we've been really fortunate to to come across and meet some of the local artists at some of these gigs. Uh, we played a show up in Rhinelander at the brewery there with Billy Bronstead and the Lute. So I think uh, they have some incredible music. We listen to them quite a bit. Interject at any time if you have, I guess, any of the ones you're thinking. There's, um, we played down at the Heist and Rippin where Sam Luna and Tay, he's got an amazing building there. I think it's like an old bank that they, he's converting into a space. It's something definitely to look into because he's going to be doing some really cool stuff there. Yeah. But yeah, it's I don't I don't listen to a whole lot of the local music because like if I'm like if there's an artist that I'm listening to I'll listen to them just over and over and over and over and so right now I'm just listening to somebody I'm, and I probably won't I don't know when I'm gonna stop listening to. that's the part my girlfriend doesn't support. <laughs> 
do you think you're going to be doing your own home recording or do you think you're going to stick with going to an audio professional to do your future albums? I think we'll definitely stick with audio professionals. We just, well, for one, we don't know anywhere near enough about, I mean, I, I guess I didn't realize you kind of assume you can just plug in and record. It sounds fine, but mic placement or mic selection in the first place, you know, EQing and all of that business, which is a whole science in and of itself. So I think we'll leave that to professionals going forward. And also at the same time, just when you're recording in your house, you don't really find the same inspiration that you do when you're in a studio um, in a more well-rounded environment for capturing music. Bigger than just getting the like the equipment and the sound captured it's just like working with mark he's kind of been a like a mentor because we're still it's just so foreign to us it's not what we've done you know right so he's like told us stories and it's like it's all these experiences that we can kind of okay you know we can pull from this when we get into these situations which i think is even more valuable than his recording equipment True. it hasn't just been I think uh, making recommendations here and there of, of what to put on the song, what to what to pull out, maybe what's cluttering, I guess, the space too much and, and removing layers, stripping it apart, doing it more intelligently, but offering us really sound or sage advice for how we should be approaching the live music scene uh, and how we should be connecting with fans. So he's been instrumental in that part as well. Yeah, it's, it's good to have someone like that on your team. That's the way I kind of think about it is a recording studio the people that run it are, you know, do the recording for you and do the mixing and the mastering. They're not just someone that you just hired. They're actually part of your team to make sure you have a successful outcome from beginning to end. Right. Well, guys, that's about it. I'd like to thank you guys for being on the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Much appreciated. All right. All right thank you. Well, that was Ryan and Isaiah of Salmon Run. Their new album is Maze Avenue, M-A-E-S Avenue, A-V-E-N-U-E, and it just came out in 2020. I would like to thank Nate Wyckoff of Frequency Farm Recording in Wisconsin for writing and recording the opening theme song for Wisconsin Music Podcast, and also getting me in contact with Dean Bundy, our voiceover intro guy. Also, Jacob at CWHipHop.com for syndicating the podcast every Monday at 4 p.m. at CWHipHop.com. And ZTF Studio, ZTFStudio.com for sponsoring the Wisconsin Music Podcast. And we're going to have Sam and Run play us out. Thanks, guys. And everyone, have a great week, and we'll see you next time. I'm going to be called Young Man. Um, so that song... It's, I suppose you could say it's more about somebody facing pretty dire circumstances uh, in the events leading up to it. So maybe it's a foregone conclusion that they're not going to survive an event and it's trying to be in their head and maybe in the head of the people that are doing something to them about, uh, I guess, what, what both of their perspectives are and then reconciling them at the end. I, I don't know what it was, but when Isaiah started sending over some drafts of the song, it, it had a Western feel to it. So when we put it together, we wanted it to feel kind of, to kind of bounce along almost like somebody on horseback in the old west and we threw some slide guitar in there and maybe some diminished chords and some some strange feel so that it was a little bit more ominous in its tone like what we were trying to capture with it i started writing it when i was living in portland so this was like 2016 and uh like that was kind of like a lot of the black lives matter um stuff was going on in 16. so kind of some of the lyrics it's it's kind of like recognizes some of the violence that you know white people have done and kind of talk it's a little bit about that and it's just kind of like you know just kind of how messed up that is and kind of just tells a story and kind of 
also like at the end it you know talks about uh matt turner coming back and resetting the score and kind of making things even but you know like trying to capture like the frustration and anger that's probably felt in those for a lot of people that went through that you know Young man on the wrong side of death tonight Ten steps till it's gonna be late Young man waiting in the sinner's line Don't know where it starts or it ends Man playing ghost in the moonlight Three kids asleep at the rain Lights up his torch at the counter fire He reels some saws with his hand Lazarus, oh no, Lazarus Maybe you were best in the ground Took form like a beautiful sunrise Spread west at ten cents a pound Lazarus, oh no, Lazarus Oh, Lazarus, oh no, Lazarus Oh, Lazarus, oh no, Lazarus Oh, Lazarus, oh no, Lazarus From the shadows 
was worth in the gallows. Souls fall through cracks on the floor. Lazarus, oh no, Lazarus Maybe you're best in the ground Took for like a beautiful sunrise Spread west the ten cents a pound Be back here.